Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. It is your boy, C-I-Z-Z-Y, back again with another episode of the Culture Talks podcast, the Culture Talks show, whatever you guys want to call it. You know, I have some friends that are like, hey, you should call it a show. And then I have some friends that are like, nah, stick to the podcast. I'm like, you know what? It's whatever you guys want it to be. The community can decide for yourselves. As you can see, I have a culture hoodie on today. Um, I was going to rock at the Culture Talks t-shirt, but I gave all of them to my girlfriend because she went to Los Angeles. So, um, but yeah, we're back with another episode. I'm so thankful for you guys tuning in. Everyone that listens, reshares, comments, leaves any reviews on Apple Podcast, I appreciate your guys' support because you know that is the only way we can grow. And I tell you guys every week, I'm going to come back with the fire guest and we've done it once again. And today we have a entrepreneur, we have a founder, we have a we have an author, we have a podcast host himself, we have we have there's so many things. What I like to call a renaissance man, a renaissance man. And with that being said, I'll go ahead and let him introduce himself. If you're watching this on video, you can already see him, but go ahead and let him know who you are, my brother. Yeah, I'm Justin Asiri. I'm the founder and CEO of a company called Captivate.ai. And I live in Denver, Colorado with my wife and two and a half year old son. I love it. I love it. All right. So I always like to start from the very beginning. So where, Justin, were you born? Where were you raised? What was like life like growing up? I was born in Southern California in a city called Fullerton. I had an older brother and um, two parents. And um, yeah, I, I don't really know what to say about the upbringing. I lived there until I was 18 and then went off to college in uh, on the East Coast. And um, I had very supportive parents. You know, I was in the, the marching band and they were at every football game dragging our equipment out all across the field. And you know, being a father now, I realize they, they had their own lives, their own things going on, but they were pretty selfless in the way that they raised us. I love that. I love that. And and like you said, you are a father now. What do you think are some things that you um, really disliked that parents would do when you were younger that you really appreciate now that you have a child of your own? Like now you can understand why they did that or now you can understand why yeah. they, they guided you in that direction. Yeah, that's such a good question. Um it's, it's hard to say right now because at two and a half, I don't have a lot of memories what I was like at that age. Right. But, you know, as we, as we're like in, uh, we'll go to the pool and I'll see older kids. I do, you know, I, I think one thing that just stands out is like the parents that are really engaged with their kids and then the kids that just seem like they're desperate for attention. Mm -hmm. And so you know, maybe at times it felt smothering with my parents, but I'm like grateful for that 
in contrast to the parents that might not have been present or engaged or checked out on their phones or doing whatever else. And it's pretty crazy for me to see in these like 13 year old kids, like there's just a wild difference. It seems like the kids that are not getting the attention they need, and then they're just really acting out to try to get it. Absolutely. And do you feel like, do you feel like it's possible? You know, so many times people talk about, even me, I don't have a kid right now, but talking with my girlfriend or, you know, people talking with their fiancés or their wives or whoever it might be about children and the future with children. And they talk about how they're going to be and how they're going to behave and how they're going to treat them and how they're going to lead. Like, do you think it's actually possible to prepare for having a child or did you kind of have you know, these things prepared for the first two years of your child's life and those things all went to the side and you kind of had to figure it out as you go. Oh man, that's a, that's a really powerful question because, uh, you know, I, 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 I do a lot of men's work and personal development work and a lot of what drives that for me is like, I don't want to, I don't want to pass my shit onto my son. I'm sure I will, but as much as possible, you know, I want to learn lessons and and fix things in myself. So I'm not passing my dysfunction on to him. So from that standpoint, I feel like anyone listening, whether they want to be a parent or not, just by striving to be a better human being, that's going to be great for any kids that they interact with, their kids or someone else's. And I think that that is a way to prepare by just saying, you know, what is the man or the woman that I want to be? But at the same time, I'll just say that I, I, there's nothing someone could have told me prior to having a kid that really would have prepared me. It was, uh, it's just, you know, everything about my life is different. And someone could have told that to me, explain, but it just wouldn't have sunk in. And, and one last thing that I'll just say for anyone who's close to fatherhood or motherhood, um, a, a good friend of mine right before my son was born, his, his son was like a year at the time. And he's just like, Justin, just so you know, I didn't feel anything in the hospital room when my son was born. And for like six months, nine months afterwards, I didn't really feel anything. And, you know, maybe 10 months in, I started to feel something. But what I appreciated about that is it kind of depressures this sense that like parenthood should feel like something. And it's great if it does. But my experience was like that too, where, you know, I don't think it really sunk in until six months, seven months. And it wasn't like a life-changing, profound experience immediately. I love that. I love that. And I know we're, I know we're talking about children right now and, and parenthood. And I think that that statement that your friend said is super valuable in that, in that world as well, but just in general, like sometimes we have these expectations of what things are going to feel like, or what things should feel like as an entrepreneur, as a CEO of a business, as a, um, as a, as a, you know, for me, a, a podcast host or a personal training coach or whatever it might be, we have these preconceived notions of what it's going to be like, and we go in expecting that. And when things aren't that, it can kind of throw us for a loop. So it's, it's, it's pretty, I think, important for people to kind of, you know, get maybe a little bit of feedback on, on the experience, of course, to get some, you know, baseline knowledge, but to go in just willing to accept whatever it is and grow from there. So I think that's, really powerful. I love that the phrase, the phrase that I, I learned in Buddhism is like holding things loosely. Mm. And I just know for myself that when I just like really white knuckle grasp onto something, 
it's like forcing situations to be different than they are. And when I can just kind of, you know, have an intention, like, look, I want Captivate.ai to be a success. Like I want to show my son what it looks like to earn and to, to claim and to grow and to build. Like I want that desperately, but I also want to hold it loosely. Like maybe the point of this company is for me to learn a lesson that I apply to my next company. Maybe the point is for me to realize I'm not an entrepreneur and to join a company. Like I don't want to be clutching so tightly on the way I think something should be that I miss out on something even better that I, I couldn't have imagined when I started. I love that. I love that. I kind of want to double back to, you know, your school days um, in SoCal. What, what were some of your early interests? Were you, uh, I know you mentioned the marching band, were there, were there, was there swimming, was there football, was there theater, was there ballet? What other interests did you have and what other things did you participate in that kind of, you know, contributed to who you are today? Oh man, this, you're taking me down memory lane, man. I haven't thought about this stuff in a long time. Um, I, I would say music was really important to me. Um, and, and I also say that, um, I say that, so I, I served in the military and I, I do, you know, a lot of long distance running now. I feel like I kind of discovered my physicality much later in life. And so as you're saying, like swimming and all these things, there's like part of me that I notice even longing, like, oh, I wish I would have had a sport in high school, but I was much more like the band geek and, and that, that angle. And I really liked um, leadership. So I was, you know, I led a couple of clubs on campus and that was kind of where I put my energy was like trying to grow a community. And I'm, I'm grateful for that experience because you know, it's definitely a part of what I do in marketing, which is trying to foster a sense of community. But also as I've, you know, tried to grow different companies as an entrepreneur, it is about uh, leading people. It's about motivating them and energizing them and giving them a vision. And I was, I was learning that in a simplistic way, even leading these clubs or leading our band or whatever it was. I love that. And you mentioned the military. So let's talk about your transition into the military. I know you mentioned you moved out east to go to school. So where did you end up going to school? And then how did you end up going into, you know, I'll let you share what branch you went into, but how'd you end up in the military? So I, uh, the college I went to is, was the, uh, the Naval Academy. And so I, I knew when I was going there that it wasn't, um, it wasn't just a four-year college commitment. It was a, a nine-year commitment, which is kind of crazy to think of it, you know, in retrospect as an 18-year-old. But you kind of get a couple of years to try it out and then decide whether or not you want to go all the way. And so what I liked about the Naval Academy was it, it was this fantastic leadership environment of learning good and bad examples of leadership. And, and they give you a lot of leeway to try to be a leader. You know, every year in college, you're, you're practicing a different skill. So I really liked that. Um, but the, the military itself was a much better experience. I spent five years on submarines and I look back, man, and I'm like, you know, when I was like 22, I was in charge of a nuclear submarine worth $2 billion. I'm like, it's just wild to think of the amount of authority I was able to have at a very young age. And so, you know, at times I, I realized the lack of business experience that I could have gotten in five years doing something else. 
but it's hard to imagine a better way to learn about leading people. And, um, and just, you know, I, I think of a lot when it comes to entrepreneurship, I feel like so much of it is discipline and blocking and tackling and doing, you know, working hard. And, and that's really what I was cultivating in the military, which has proven to be a pretty powerful asset as an entrepreneur. I love it. I love it. And, and a word, you know, that you've mentioned a few times is leadership. And I, I want to ask you during your, you know, tenure in the military, like you said, I'm sure people have good experiences with certain leadership and bad experiences, experiences with a certain leadership. So for you personally, what were some leadership styles that you really connected with that you really thrived from? Like, the, the leaders that were in your life in the military, what were their styles or their approaches that really helped you out, that really inspired you yeah. to, you know, hustle? Yeah, I mean, to, to this day, you know, three of the best leaders I've ever, ever seen were, were all in the military and, and actually specifically at the Naval Academy. One was uh, General John Allen. And I think the the attribute of his leadership was, he he had so much integrity like he was one of those rare human beings where like if he entered a room you're like sitting up straighter not out of like oh he's gonna yell at me but more of like i need to be on my a game and he just really um he walked the walk like he you know his shoes were perfectly polished and he held himself to such a high standard that for me, I found it like evoking from me the better part of me. And, and it's it's very rare that I've seen that trait. Uh, there was another leader, Carl Deputy, and um, I was in a singing group while I was there. And we would do these like, you know, two, three hour performances. And he was the officer. This was like his collateral duty. So just kind of one of his side jobs. And every performance that we did, we're on stage for three hours, he would be at the very back of the room and he'd be standing the entire time. And, and one of those things that I just took away from that is like, if you're leading, even if it's not a big deal, it's like your side job, like if you're leading people, you got to be in there with it. So his philosophy was like, if you guys aren't sitting, I'm not sitting. And it, and it didn't make a difference, you know, but it, it really did make me respect him. I felt like he was part of, of our group. And then the, the last one was this, uh, this man, David Richardson, and he, um, he, you know, was our company officer and he chose, you know, this guy that at the time was like a big screw off, just kind of a jokester. And he picked him to be like the senior person in our, in our group. And I just remember him saying, like, he, he knew, he's like, I knew this guy would rise to the occasion. And oftentimes I see leaders pick, you know, the best and the brightest to lead. But he just showed me that, like, you know, you can cultivate people like, like smoothing a stone. You can say, like, this person has promise and I'm going to put a lot of responsibility on them and I know they're going to rise to it. And I don't see a lot of people do that. You know, you're just kind of, you see people going through resumes and being like, okay, this guy went to Harvard, so he's smart. I'm going to hire him rather than like, you know, see, seeing past the surface and what the potential is underneath. I love that. I love that. 
And for those, you know, young people, whether their goal is to go pro in sports, whether their goal is to be the best podcaster, whether their goal is to be a great entrepreneur, for those young people who are looking to be leaders, how can somebody identify if they have what it takes or have what's necessary or the skills necessary to be a great leader? Do you think that's something that any human can cultivate or do you think that's something that has to be, you know, kind of ingrained in an individual and how can someone identify that? I don't know at this point in my life if I feel like anything is really ingrained. I think that we may all have like, you know, natural aptitudes. Like I, I'm probably, no matter what I did, I probably wouldn't be a professional basketball player, right? There's probably like certain aptitudes, but I feel like so much of it is like choosing where we want to invest our time and the muscles that we want to develop. Um, one piece of advice someone gave me was, um, you know, if you're in a junior position whenever you're in a meeting to kind of observe who holds power, who do people listen to, who guides a conversation, who shifts the moments. And in doing so, you'll see that there's so many different ways to lead. There's, you know, the person who just listens and takes it all in. And then like a judo move says one sentence that just completely, you know, tumbles someone's argument or shifts the momentum or you see someone who's so charismatic and they're able to get people going and drawing people out. Like there's so many different styles of leadership and, and why I think that's important is like, I, I identify as an introvert an extreme introvert and many of the popular examples of good leadership. I identify with extroverts, people who are just outgoing and the life of the party and I think it's important for listeners to know there's many types of leadership. There's many types of leaders, which means it's just about figuring out what your style is, practicing it, being willing to make mistakes, and also choosing your role models that you can learn from and apply to your own craft. I love that. I love that. I, I wanted to ask, you know, you mentioned, you kind of joked about, you know, people looking at resumes and seeing Harvard on there. But you yourself went to a great school. And so I wanted to ask you, what was the experience like at Stanford? How did you end up, you know, going to that school? Was that after the military? Was that during the military? Kind of just talk about your journey um, to Stanford, what you studied, and, you know, maybe how that experience helped you, you know, launch your first business. Yeah. So uh, when I was in the military, one of, the, one, of the, one of my criticisms of the military is most people in, in my experience, don't have a, a lot of visibility into what they'll do when they get out of the military. And so when I left the military, I had no idea what I wanted to do. So I said, okay, I'm going to go to business school and I'm going to figure out what there is out there. I'm going to, excuse me, at least see what my options are. So I got out of the military a couple months later, I started at Stanford business school and it, it was life-changing in that it just really exposed me. It exposed me to entrepreneurship. I, I don't think I really knew about startups before going there. And, you know, it's, it's near San Francisco. It's part of the DNA. It exposed me to like a lot of great people who are still some of my best friends. It, it exposed me to a lot of different ideas. You know, I think I came from whatever you would, whatever you would think of as like a military person. I think I kind of came with a lot of, um, narrow views on things. And that was just my experience, at least. And when I was at Stanford, I met people with 
you know, one of my best friends there was a, was a gay man. And I'd never, I'd never met a gay man before. And we were like these oddities where he was like, what the, what the hell is the military about? And I was like, I don't know what your thing is about, but like we grew into a very deep friendship, but I, I'd never had that before. And that's just one example of a million where I was just having these eye-opening experiences of seeing uh, different backgrounds and different upbringings and just all, it was just very, very helpful for me. And so I'm, I'm grateful for the education I received around business. Um, but I think it was more the experiences and the people that I met. And, and I think that, I think that it also helped that, um, you know, not coming from a business background, it was kind of like a nice boot camp type experience to say, okay, I've got leadership experience. Now let me bring some, you know, frameworks and business knowledge to complement that. I think that the, um, and the credibility has helped as well. So I'm, I'm grateful for that. I think, I think my entrepreneurial journey would have been more difficult without it. Just, just for me. I love that. I love that. You know, something I think is funny is like, you know, the importance of environment, whether you're deeply in, you know, deep inside of it, like attending the school or, you know, I had the opportunity to live in Santa Cruz for about a year. And that brought me around a whole bunch of students who went to Stanford or who were going to Berkeley or some of these schools. And I was never a, a student. I was never a fan of college. I was anti, you know, I mean, I'm not anti-college now, but still I don't have the desire to go, you know? So mm -hmm. I was kind of like, never hung out with kids who were like gonna go to a nice school. Like that's not the type of kids I was around growing up. And so it really, allowed me the opportunity to engage with these individuals from all these different backgrounds. How did you end up wanting to study law? How did you end up wanting to study this? Um, what are your interests? Where do you get into? And the meeting, you know, of course, being in Silicon Valley areas, like meeting all these different entrepreneurs, learning about what the startup world, learning about what the heck Silicon Valley even is. Mm -hmm. um, and it's just, you know, I say that to say that anybody listening to this podcast, whether you want to go to school or whether you want to go to the military or whether you're, you end up becoming some type of athlete that's able to travel a lot. If you're not able to do any of that, you need to find a way to get yourself in a different environment, at least for a moment of your life. Don't stay in the same area your entire life because I promise you it's, it, it's, it limits so much and there's so many awesome people to learn from out there. And you can do it like in the most weird way. You can literally just move to, if you live in a small town or you live in a big city or just move to like close to a college or something and work there for a little bit and become friends with people there or move close to the headquarters of Walmart in Arkansas or something and learn from yeah. the people who work there, whatever it is, find a way to, you know, explore different environments because they'll help you out a lot. So I think that's really cool to hear you, you know, military, Stanford, SoCal, Denver now. So I think, I think it's pretty cool. I, I a thousand percent agree to what you just said. I think that you said it perfectly. And I, I, you know, one thing I'll just call out for listeners too, like one of the reasons that I love podcasting, like, like, look at you, man, every week you're talking to like different people, you're hearing different points of view. Like you have, you have created a vehicle that fosters curiosity in you and gets you exposed to all sorts of different people. And I, you know, I podcast as well. That's what I love about it. It's like forcing me to meet and learn from new people. And the great thing for people listening is that I, I don't feel like there's ever been a point in history 
where you could have as much exposure. So if you're if you're hearing that and you're saying like, well, I can't leave my hometown just yet, it's like great. You can listen to a podcast, an audiobook. You can like you can hear from Elon Musk in his own words what his life is like, and you can hear from Barack Obama about like what led him. Like we we can have we can like brush shoulders with these giants and see what their life is like and hear what their mindset is and get that picture inside their brain. So don't, you know, don't count it out. If you're stuck in a location or in a job, you can still get exposure on YouTube. Like all these different things are available. It just takes, you know, taking a step away from Netflix. I mean, not to knock Netflix, but I mean like, you know, whatever else is occupying your time. Yeah, that's beautiful. That's that's beautifully stated. And for anybody who just let that go over their head, literally, guess what, guys? When did I lock in on my podcast and start bringing a lot of guests on? As soon as I was forced to move back to Kansas City and I knew I wasn't going to be able to leave here for a while. And I was back home. I already knew the city. But I was like, how can I meet more interesting people here and around the world if I can't travel and I don't have the money to do it? Boom, podcast. And here we are, 74 interviews later. Yeah, awesome people from all over the world. So you're you're very correct in that. So I love that. Um, I want to transition into Storybox. I want to talk about yeah. you know what that experience was like launching that. Um, I want to talk about. I want you to share maybe a little bit what inspires you to get into that business. What problem were you trying to solve? As typically, that's what's happening in most businesses. You're trying to solve yeah. a problem or fill a void. So yeah, share a little bit about Storybox. So I um. I went to business school at Stanford. I wrote my essay saying, hey, I'm a a Navy guy. I'm going to go to business school. And then I'm going to go to a really big consulting company and learn how to run a company. And that's, that's what I did. I got an offer for a, you know, the best consulting company in the world called McKinsey. I was supposed to go to New York and do that. And I had nine months between graduating and starting. And so I thought, you know what, I got nothing else to do. I'm just going to tinker with an idea. And the starting point of the idea was preserving life memories. And so I was tinkering with that and it was too big of an idea. But one thing I learned in you know, a couple of weeks of working on that idea was like, wow, if you want to preserve someone's life memories, video is really powerful, right? It just captures who we are. So then I started doing video testimonials for companies and that started to get traction. I started to make money from businesses who wanted to do that. And I started to build a technology and ultimately ended up, you know, telling the consulting company, I'm going to do this instead. And so that was really the starting point of what became Storybox. And um, I raised a lot of money. I raised $3 million from Google's chairman, Eric Schmidt. And we, you know, built this big platform and technology around video testimonials. And um, ultimately, the company transitioned to something else. And that's, you know, a whole other story. But it was... What I'm grateful for is that first company was a chance to realize you can find a pain point, you can come up with a solution, and if there's enough people that have that pain point, you can make a living off of it. And and I made a ton of mistakes. I mean, we grew our company and shrunk it, and I had to fire people and people quit. Like so many battle wounds of just epic failures that I had in that first company. And, you know, with that in the rear view mirror, I'm realizing that is kind of part of what entrepreneurship is. It's, you know, hopefully learning from others and their wisdom, 
but you're going to make so many painful public mistakes that everyone sees. And sometimes I, I, I believe that the best entrepreneurs are the ones probably like the best basketball players. Like, what do they say? It's like a high school basketball player takes like 30 seconds to recover from a mistake or a minute to recover from a mistake. And like a, a NBA player, it's like two seconds. And I'm like, I want to be the NBA version of an entrepreneur, the one who can like have an idea blow up in my face and it be all over LinkedIn and everyone making fun of it and just be like, whatever, this is what I learned. I'm moving on. <laughs> yeah. I love that. I love that. That was, that's a great analogy as well. Cause you know, <laughs> I was literally just listening to a podcast on the way back from the gym, uh, the Nike podcast of Ryan Flaherty or whatever. And he was talking about, a. He was talking about that same thing about how athletes are able to, you know, transition from, you know, failure to try again in like a snap. And for for you know day to day humans to be able to develop that skill would be so valuable. So I, I love yeah. that. Uh, my, my favorite, you know, I'll just add to that real quickly. My favorite quote, I, I heard it from Tony Robbins, but he probably you know got it somewhere else but he says <laughs> business is 90 or entrepreneurship is 90 percent mindset 10 percent skill set and whether it's true or not i love that because it is it's about it's about you know the most powerful muscle that we have like how do we train our minds and it's something i'm still you know really trying to work on is uh what are what are the mindsets that hold me back, you know, or like a little thing, like I'm not a natural salesperson, but like, what is it in my head that keeps me from on a call being like, Hey man, uh, we charge this amount of money. Do you want to do it? Yes or no? Like how, like that something makes me really uncomfortable putting someone on the spot, but that's just mindset. That's just psychology. And I feel like that stuff we have to constantly be sharpening and overcoming as entrepreneurs. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Um, so you had to lead, you know, a, a pretty solid team at a story box, a pretty good amount of people. You know, I think oftentimes when people think of leadership, they think more of, you know, uh, a name tag, you know, yeah. principal, uh, uh, CEO, uh, whatever it might be. They think that the name tag is what, you know, decides whether you're a leader or not. But that's not exactly the case. How do you think that, you know, you can learn from your employees in order to better serve them? You know, a lot mm -hmm. of people, uh, the reason I mentioned that is because so many times, you know, principals will have teachers telling them what they should do better in the school. But because they're the principal, they're like, nope, uh, I'm right. I got the right direction. I got the best route. But how do you think you were able to learn from your employees to be able to help them become better and then also you know in return help the company become better you know the the most powerful moment i had in my in my company i'll be completely honest i it was a saturday i i i smoked some pot i watched this like crazy robert downey jr video where he was in uh you know dressed as iron man and went into like a um hospital where a kid was, was an amputee and he was learning they had like made him like a robotic arm that was like iron man and it was just so inspiring and i i met with my team the following monday and i'd like handwritten them each notes and i think what i realized in that moment what i shared with them was like look guys 
you know, we can try our best to make Storybox succeed, but like ultimately success or failure is out of our hands. Like there's so much about entrepreneurship that is out of your control. And so what I told them was like, look, win or lose at this thing, I'll be proud of what I did with Storybox if you all leave this company a better human being. And so that became my mission as like, I want to cultivate you guys inside and outside of the workplace. Like I want you to be uh, supported and challenged to reach your peak potential in work and outside of work. And so we started doing like soul cycle together every week. I started bringing in meditation teachers and nonviolent communication teachers. And of course that helped us as a company. It was like skills people were using on sales calls and stuff like that. But I think for me as a leader, it also just made me feel good. Like, okay, I've got some moment in the spotlight, some amount of power. I want to know that I'm doing that to make the world a better place, not just to make myself more money. And so that's the first thing that comes to mind is just the thought of like really genuinely investing in your people, wanting them to do better. And I think that that's a hallmark of, of great leaders. But the, the second thing that comes to mind is actually one of my advisors in, and friends, uh, his name's Harpy Madan, brilliant businessman. He started two companies that have gone public, incredibly successful. And every time I talk to Harpy, he just, you know, I'll come to him with a business challenge and it's the type of thing that if someone came to me, like if you asked me a question right now, I'm like, I'm just reaching, I'm just like a- answering it right away. Or I'm like, oh, this is what you should do. Every time I do that with Harpy, he like asks me like 20 questions before he gives me advice. And he's like wanting to understand, he's wanting to get my thoughts. And like, I think about that a lot now as like a leader you know, realizing I don't have all the answers and my natural temptation when, when someone comes to me with a question is be like, oh, this is what you should do. And what I'm trying to do a better job of like Harpy is to say like, oh, well, you know, let me learn more about the problem. How are you thinking about this? What do you think about this? And like learning from them, like learning from everyone and then, and then, you know, giving advice or making a recommendation, but at least taking a breath to, to kind of hear their perspective first. I love that. I love that. And you mentioned, you know, leaving a company. So it has to be one of the hardest things, I think, for a lot of entrepreneurs is to, you know, build something, you know, create a team, um, go through the ups and downs. So can you talk about the challenges of kind of transitioning out of Storybox and, you know, that 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 in between that buffer between Storybox and your next company? How yeah. was that? What was that like? I mean, in, in retrospect, it was, it was kind of flailing. I think that so much of my identity and life and hopes were pinned around Storybox. And so when I moved on, I don't think I knew what I wanted to do next. And I think I was so burnt out from years of just working around the clock that I just, I didn't have any, any gas in the gas tank to go after something else. Um, the, the nice thing was, is that, you know, I dabbled a lot. And one of the things that I dabbled in was a podcast called beyond the uniform. And as I was doing that, you know, for years, I was doing that. One of the things that started to come up was like, oh man, like podcasts can be a really powerful marketing tool. 
Cause I, you know, I started thinking, I'm like, okay, you and I are talking right now. We're on video. Okay. Let's see this hour conversation. I bet I could probably turn that into five blog posts, five videos for LinkedIn, a couple Instagram reels, YouTube chapters, some TikTok videos. And from Storybox, I knew that like, you know, marketers struggle to have content to be posting. They got to post every day on 10 different channels. And so, you know, at the time, it often felt like the couple of years after Storybox, like I felt like I was in the desert wandering, looking for the oasis, looking for the next thing. And in retrospect, I think it was me just meandering and taking in information. And it led to my current company, Captivate, which literally works with companies to start podcasts that turns them into social media content. So it's just kind of funny that like the story changes based on when you're, when you're hearing about it. And if you had asked me a year ago, I think I would say like, man, you know, after Storybox, I really lost my identity. And a year later, I'm saying, you know, that period after Storybox led me to start my next company, Captivate. And I don't know if I could have rushed that. I think I kind of needed that time to recharge, reorient, figure out who I was and what I wanted to do next. I love that. I love that. I do want to talk a little bit about Beyond the Uniform. So the podcast helps veterans transition to civilian life. And then also the book I saw um, via Kindle that you authored is also around the same topic. So can you talk about what, you know, you kind of mentioned earlier in the podcast, but can you talk about what inspired you to do that and maybe the framework that you utilize to be able to help people, you know, be able to transition? Yeah, my my pain point was I had no idea what I was going to do when I left the military. My solution was go to Stanford Business School, which cost, you know, $130,000. And I, I realized that's not, that's not a one size fits all solution. Not everyone can do that. And it worked great for me. But what about the hundreds of thousands of people that leave the military every year? And I was just kind of sitting with that for a while, for months. I had no idea what to do about it. And I was in the Portland airport listening to an episode of Tim Ferriss. And I was like, wait a second. (laughs) I don't have to have the answers. I just got to have curiosity and I can do what Tim is doing. I can go find, you know, the CEO, the former CEO of Pepsi, who was a Marine. And I can learn about, man, how did you go from being a Marine to the CEO of Pepsi? And I can go to, you know, I can spotlight hundreds of different career options and learn about what they like, what they don't like, advice if someone wanted to pursue that. And it just became so energizing because I thought I I love meeting people. I'm going to be able to meet all these people. And I didn't want to have to research all this, but you know, you've done your homework for me. Like it's the same thing. I would do that for my guests of learning about their background and being curious. And so it's, it's been great over, you know, 405 episodes and, um, I've just met people I would have, ne- they, these people would have never talked to me if I didn't have a podcast. And I'm, you know, talking to Jocko Willink and the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staffs and like these incredible people. And, and what I'm grateful for is that I get an hour of, of free mentorship. And, you know, you, you can relate to this. And we talked about this earlier. It's like, absolutely, how cool to get in the mind of someone who's different than I am, has had different experiences. And I almost always walk away with something, with something I can apply to my own life. I love that. I love that. And, you know, I, I'm not going to 
say that this is absolutely accurate, but I've heard the statistic over and over again about how, about like, you know, some large percentage of podcasts never make it past the third or fourth episode. I'm sure. And, you know, what I think I've learned is that people have to be, and I'm saying this because, you know, I've been trying to figure out ways to guide people towards starting their own podcast and providing some baseline information so people can find it more easier. But I think no matter if you have everything you need to start a podcast, you have to be really committed to the purpose behind, you know, why you're starting this podcast. And if you don't actually have something you can connect to, and I know this is such a cliche saying, they say it in business all the time. What's your why? What's your why? They say it in my lane of business and personal training all the time, find out their why. And, you know, but that's so real. Like if you don't have a why for what you're doing, it's very unlikely that you're going to take time every week to try to get an episode in when you could be, again, no problem with Netflix because, you know, I'm low-key going to watch a show after this <laughs> after this conversation. <laughs> but, yep. but like, it's so much easier to watch Netflix than to, you know, reach out to five guests from across the world and type up emails and send cold emails to try to get people on or to write up topics and research about the guests and questions and talking points it's so much easier to just not do that, especially if you don't have any, any reason for really doing it. And I kind of just realized that right now, because I'm like, well, of course you would keep doing beyond the uniform, like see how powerful that is, how important it is. Like we hear about so many, you know, difficult situations, you know, veterans face once they leave the military, like it, it can get really sad, you know? And so I think that what you're doing is, so important you know and i don't have any family for really that ever went to the military so i may not have a connection to it but i know that there are millions of people out there who have seen you know uncles cousins brothers sisters aunties go through some really tough times you know after they exit the military and i think that your podcast has really properly helped so many people so keep that up i love it thank you um so yes captivate Captivate helps turn one podcast episode into tons of micro content. (laughs) So that's so awesome, man. Like I, I, I love this idea. And it's one of the other reasons that I started doing podcasts too, is just like, there's just so much content that you can pull from it, that you can build your brand upon that you can market with. There's so much. And I learned from Gary V. I mean, Gary V is one of the Mm -hmm. first people who kind of like got me into podcasting really is like, He's like, you want to build your brand, start a podcast. Like, and then he's like, you can turn it into this piece. And you know, he has his videographers who would show how they would like break down this podcast interview, put it in this, turn this into an audio clip to put on this, to put in. And I'm like, wow, (laughs) I'm like, wow. So you've been able to turn that into a amazing business. How's it been? Um, How's that experience been building a team around it, building a community, you know, getting people engaged and using the platform. How's it been? It's, it's been therapeutic, man. Cause, um, you know, I made, like I said, I made so many mistakes with Storybox, and I I'm literally 10 years older starting this company and I've changed, I've learned more. And so it's nice to see things that I, I did at Storybox that were right, but didn't work out there and I'm doing them now and they're working well. And it's great to see ways in which I can like approach this company differently and do it differently and do it in a way that's better for me and more true to who I am. So that's been awesome to like feel 
I just feel grateful to get another at bat to try, you know, to try to do better and try to improve and to, to sharpen a skill. Um, and, you know, true to my experience with entrepreneurship, there's still, you know, I'm maybe nine months in on Captivate, there is an overwhelming amount of ambiguity. There is so, you know, on a daily basis, there's so many things that I could spend my time on. And, you know, it's everything from, do I have the right product, but I just haven't found the right market to sell it to? Or do I just need to keep on changing the product to have it land better? Like there's just these like diametrically opposed directional questions. And so for the most part, I enjoy that, but there's just, you know, on a weekly basis moments where it's, it's pretty overwhelming and it's, um, you know, sometimes I'm longing for clarity and certainty, but that's just not, not in the cards for a while. And so it's, it can be very addicting, the thought of building something new and the exhilaration of seeing it grow. And it also comes with these low points of, of losing deals or losing customers or not knowing that the product is right. And so I, I just share that because, um, I almost gave up an entrepreneurship because I just expected things to be easy because that's what it seems like in popular media. Yeah. But I think it's important, you know, to, to pay it forward to, to, to the next generation of entrepreneurs listening to this, that to just know that there's like, it is a very difficult road and it can be very rewarding and very lonely and very fulfilling and very frustrating. It's all of those things. And so to not, not to give up if if you ex encounter significant friction and 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 uh, frustration on your journey. I love that, and like you're mentioning, man, there's so many emotions that come with, you know, starting a business, and with these emotions, you know, what's really required that I think a lot of people overlook is wellness. You know, just overall <laughs> wellness of the mind, of the body, of the spirit. How are you able to? incorporate that into your life what does that look like for you you know a founder of two businesses a, a podcast that's been going on forever uh, a father a husband what does that look like for you so i'll you know i'll share that um when i met my wife it was at a low point for Storybox. i was 20 to 30 pounds overweight i was living paycheck to paycheck i was stressed out of my head, like completely crazy stressed, not sleeping, just not taking care of myself in any way. And I'm grateful for her because, you know, in every way she nursed me back to financial, physical and spiritual, mental, emotional health. And, and that's been one of the big things with, with Captivate is like, I know how exhilarating it is to work 18 hour days. But the truth is, I'm a much better entrepreneur when I have my hour to go for a run, when I have quality time with my son, when I'm able to read something or watch TV. Like there's just, I know there's these little building blocks that I need in my life. Um, I, uh, meditation is really important to me. Men's groups and connections, like all of these are kind of like lifeboats for me that keep me stable. And while that doesn't allow me to do 18 hour days, it allows me to keep going day in, day out and, and be more 
productive, happy, and fulfilled than, than without doing them. So that's the probably the biggest thing I'm doing differently with Captivate is like, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to just work, uh, you know, 120 hours a week. And then, you know, with the hopes of making millions and millions of dollars, like I want to be able to do this for the rest of my life, if that's what it takes. And that means I've got to have a long-term mindset. I can't be just burning myself to death. I have to take care of myself. And that actually leads to better work. You know, I, I, I view entrepreneurs as artists. And I think that like, you know, to really be the best artist we can, we, we have to foster our creativity we have to have time in solitude. We have to have time to replenish. We have to have time doing other things. And, and last thing I'll say on that is that like the best breakthroughs I've had in both companies have not been in the office. <laughs> they've been, you know, out running, they've been out on the weekends, like doing something else. And so you, you've got to have that time to, to allow serendipity and inspiration to come. I love that. I love that. You know, Justin, this has been a great conversation. I love all of your answers. I love your energy and, you know, your, your what's it called? Exuberance when you Thank speak. You. Um, I do have a few more questions for you. And then, you know, the guest, I want the guest to know how they can support you, know where they Thank can you. find you at. And um, we'll, we'll get to that here shortly. So the, the last few questions I have are, you know, do you believe that there's some sort of pattern or maybe a formula to becoming a successful entrepreneur? I don't want to think so. I've never thought so. And I do actually think that, that there is. And um, I just started working with a new coach. I'm, I'm joining an entrepreneur group because I, I feel like I fought that notion for most of my life. But I think that there are patterns or there's at least actions that I could take consistently that increase the probability of my success. And I feel like for a long time, I've tried to reinvent the wheel myself, and I'm trying now to learn from others who have that code. So that's not to say that you have to look a certain way or be a certain way or act a certain way to be an entrepreneur. But I would say that there's, there's you know, I'm, I'm, I've gotten into running a lot and it's like, yeah, there's commonalities there. Yes, everyone's body is different, but there's certain techniques that you can learn that will help you run longer and faster and further, all of those things. So it's kind of like, I want to have those skills on my tool belt to be able to apply them. I love that. I love that. And the last thing I wanted to talk to you about is you mentioned a few times um, retreats, men's groups. Mm -hmm. So during my research, I, I, you know, saw that, you know, well, during, actually this research was provided to me. So thank you to <laughs> your yeah. team. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, but you know, it was mentioned that you enjoy silent meditation retreats and that you also lead men's groups uh, for military veterans. When did that start? And, you know, how do you, you know, for, for other people out there who want to lead a group of people who they, who they, you know, feel like need them, you know, yep. um, or whether that's, it, it doesn't have to be grown adults. It doesn't have to be military. It could be a group of kids. It could be, um, you know, a, a religious men's group, a prayer group, whatever it is, how do you, how did you go about putting that together and, and, and building a community and, and making those retreats happen over time? 
It wasn't intentional to lead. And I, you know, I started meditation, you know, well, I, I said my wife kind of got me into shape and I, I started seeing a therapist, me into meditation, which led me into retreats, which led me into a lot of, you know, almost a decade of personal growth work. And um, three years ago, I started working with a guy, John Wineland, who's a, a prominent men's group leader. And, you know, I did like three, you know, two intense years with him, like hundreds of hours. And um, along the way, he just kind of said to us of like, okay, you know, you guys have all been doing this for a while. If you, if you really want to deepen, you have to start leading. And that kind of pushed me out of the nest at that point, you know, eight, eight years of experience to start sharing some of that. So I think the first thing that I would just say is that, you know, don't, don't feel like you have to lead from day one. Like there's a lot to be learned and take the long game. But I'll also say that um, in leading my groups, it's really forced me to deepen. It's really forced me to face a lot about myself that I don't like. It's really forced me to grow in a way that I don't think I would have been compelled to if I was just a, just a follower. I love it. I love it. So why Denver? You left SoCal, you grew, you were in SoCal for 18 years, then you went to school out east, and then you went back to California to NorCal for school. Um, you're in Silicon Valley, around entrepreneurs, around startups. Why Denver? Part of it was my, my wife's family was all out here. But now that we're here, it's, I, I, I just love, I love Colorado. I really love being out in nature and I really love being active. And if you love nature and you love being active, Colorado is a great place. And it took a lot for me to leave San Francisco because it feels like tech Mecca. And, and that's true in many ways. But I kind of took the bet that like, I want to, I want to plant myself in the most nourishing soil for who I am. And for this point in my life, that's, that's Colorado. And I'm, I'm really grateful to be here. I love it. And my final question for you today, Justin, is it's your last day on earth. Hmm. You've lived a great life. You've done everything you've wanted to do. You have a group of 10 great grandchildren <laughs> sitting in front of you yeah. and they ask you what is the key to living a healthy and prosperous life what's the what's the piece of advice you're going to give them you know in this moment the the thing that's just come, been coming up with me in different ways the last two weeks has been like you you especially for for men or for people cultivating their masculine you, you have to face death like you have to face death repeatedly and, you know, in my men's groups, every time we meet in some way, I'll remind us all of death. Like, Hey, we're all, it's, it's inevitable. Right. Like, and so like reminding that, but I, I signed up yesterday for a, um, a trail marathon here next weekend. And it's, it's just, you know, 4,000 feet of elevation gains, super intense. I don't know that I'll finish it, but for me, that's a form of facing death of like, all right, I've been training, but I'm going to put myself in a win or lose situation. And I think that, you know, to me, that means we're growing, right? We're putting ourselves, we're choosing discomfort. We're choosing something that may lead to failure, but that's, that's really what's necessary in life to grow and to ultimately be happy. 
I love it. That point you made right there just reminds me of, you know, I try to create some form of inspirational videos on my personal Instagram page mm -hmm. every day. And one of the last things I said was commit or die. And I think what I meant by that, you know, it sounds really intense to some people, but mm -hmm. what I meant by that is really that, you know, you have to commit to things in life to pretty much everything. And if you don't commit, you know, obviously things that are going to help you, but mm -hmm. if you don't commit, then there's really no purpose left here you know if you know if you have purpose here on earth you want to leave a legacy or you want to you want to you want to be of service during your life you have to commit to that and if you don't mm -hmm. commit you're constantly on and off then you know it's almost like you're you're you know you've died on earth yeah and, um you know so i i think kind of what i heard there is just you know commit or die you know i love that the, the things that uh the things that are going to bring us the most growth are going to be the most discomfort, you know, dis discomfortable. That's not even a word, but I'm going to say it anyways, because I'm going to commit <laughs> discomfortable. <laughs> but but um, anyways, I love that. I really love that. So before we get out of here today, Justin, can you please share with the guests who listen to this podcast, where they can find you and support you on social, how they can reach out to you if they want to, you know, have you on a podcast and how they can support your, you know, business right now and any future business ventures. Thank you. I appreciate that. Um, easiest way is email. It's uh, justin at captivate.ai or we are still a tiny of company that if you go to captivate.ai, if you click request a demo, that email will eventually get to me. So that's the easiest way to get a hold of me. Um, you know, the best way you can support me is um, I'm putting everything I have into Captivate. So if you know of a business that would benefit from blowing out their social media marketing, most of our clients tend to be like 20 to 100 person companies. We work in every industry. That seemed to be the sweet, sweet spot right now. But if you know someone of that company would always appreciate a referral. And um, I also just want to take the chance to say thank you for having me on the show. You know, I've, I've been on lots of shows, but you are you are a great man. You have a gift for what you're doing. And I, I think that's one out of a hundred people that I meet with are actually good at at interviewing and you're really great. I just appreciate the quality of your questions and the way that you keep the ball going and your own wisdom that you sprinkle in there, man. I'm, I'm just really excited to see your podcast to continue to grow. Cause I feel like you've, you've got a voice worth amplifying. I appreciate that, Justin. Thank you for coming on ladies and gentlemen. Thank you guys for listening. As always, please share leave a review. If you enjoyed this podcast, leave a comment because that is the only way we can grow. We thank you for your support and tap in, follow Just, Justin, tap in, follow the Culture Talks on all social media platforms, wherever you want to find us, YouTube, all of that. We appreciate your support. Much love.